How do we make sure tennis remains attractive well into the future? A big question? Well, that's the subject matter of this second in a series of ATP podcast specials, looking at various aspects of the game. I'm Chris Bowers, welcome to the show, and having already looked at how tennis on court has developed over the years and how it will continue to do so in the future, this week our focus is on the development of the sport away from the action, from its global appeal to the various innovations and efforts to reach new audiences on new platforms. To help us along this journey, we'll be joined by tennis glitterati, including Pablo Andujar, Cedric Piolin, Nick Kyrgios and Ivan Lubicic, to name but a few. But we start with the Dutch Davis Cup captain, Paul Harhouse. I put it to the former world number one doubles player that, with tennis reaching out into new places like Jeddah, which hosted the recent next-gen ATP finals, the sport is already capturing more eyeballs and hearts around the world. I think tennis is doing very well internationally, worldwide. I think it's, um, if you look at the amount of people in the amount of countries uh, where they play it, it's just, I think, the second biggest sport in the world. So the level and professionalism is very high. The interest in the game, I think the, the, the interest and, and, and surveys, I think, have proven that, that uh, unless I'm wrong, but that tennis is the second sport worldwide uh, when it comes to fewer average and fewer interest in the game. So, yeah, that, that's, I think that that's basically means that you're heading in the right direction. And obviously, the ATP and the ITF and all the tennis bodies that are involved in it and, and try, try only and will, will make it better and are thinking of how can we keep this success going or how can we make it better and improve it. So there's, I'm sure, lots of people uh, uh, working on that. And that means by expanding to different countries. I mean, you've seen the amount of Chinese people in the last uh, couple of years, basically because the amount of Chinese tournaments have come on the tour and it creates interest from Chinese people in tennis. And I think this will only be even more in the future because there's a billion Chinese people. So the amount of talent that's possibly there it, it will only grow. And to see that... Worldwide, we are in so, so many different countries to where it's taken serious, where it's not just a, a, that one country where they take it serious and they say, oh, yeah, that's their, that's their really only one sport. No, it, the, tennis, I think, is in a really good shape. And you're going to have great rivalries, I mean, with Carlos uh, and, as new on the tour in the last two years. Um, and, and I think you might sooner or later, uh, Nadal is done, um, sooner or later, Djokovic is done, but then the other guys are winning slams, and so the other guys are starting their rivalry. So that means the other guys are the ones that people look at, and 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 you create your interest in those people yourself. So I think that will always be because those tournaments are so big, and the tennis is is, is a fantastic sport to watch. Those numbers are remarkable. If the growth of tennis in China excites just 1% of the Chinese population, that's still 10 million followers of the game, most of them new. As Paul Harhouse said, tennis is in really good shape. And those thoughts were echoed by the recently retired player and current ATP board member, Pablo Andujar from Spain. I mean, tennis, I would say, is in, in its maximum, right? We, we thought with Roger and, and Rafa, without them... We were going to lose a lot, but actually, I think we're we're in a good position, and not only because Carlos or Janik or Holger, they're they're coming. 
not only not only because of that, but because everyone demands tennis. The media, the people, fans are growing. Um, so I think because this sport shares and gives a lot of good values to the society, mm-hmm. I think that's also why this 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 tennis is in stop right now. I think that's what I think. What values do you feel like it gives? Well, I think being tennis, we've, we've always thought tennis, you, you have to be like a gentleman, right? Really gentle on the court, which I think I, I, there, there's, there's a lot of respect between, between players. Yes. And that's something that in sport you don't find mm-hmm. usually. Plus, um, I think that... Because we are self-employed, let's say we are the, the ones that are traveling every week and we are the ones that probably have to deal with everything, we value more things than other sportsmen, I think. Mm-hmm. Because we know the value of being here or, or of traveling and, 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 and winning one match. I think we, we are more, yeah, we give that let's say that importance to everything Mm -hmm. right you talked about you feel like it's in a good place and I agree I think it's an amazing place do you feel as far as like an entertainment value that it could be it could be like I don't know like because it's very like everyone has to be quiet and stuff do you think that should change or do you think no but actually I think I think it's pretty nice because if you go to South America people don't leave tennis as here in in Europe it's another kind of of fun if you go to Australia or to the US, they are different as well. Mm-hmm. They are more noisy, but they want more show as well. Uh, so uh, if you go to England, then everyone, to, to Wimbledon, everyone has to be quiet. So even if it's the same sport, the place where you, the tournament or the fan is different. Mm-hmm. So that's what also makes it a little bit different to other sports right because if you play soccer well soccer is played everywhere the same surface and more or less the same right so i think tennis so you like the way it is yes i think i think i i I like maybe i'm more (laughs) more classic yeah too too classic but i'm i mean i'm i'm okay i think we've we're trying to build different things in tennis trying to to get new things to happen in tennis and actually, I think that's a good thing, a positive thing. What? What can you say? Well, what, I would say, for example, let's say the the Hawkeye. Well, mm-hmm. it was something, and it, and actually, I think it's nice yeah. for the fan to be waiting to see if the mark is in or out, right? Or 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 the super tiebreak in the in the doubles, um, or the no ad. Different different things that I think. Well, now we're we're giving wild cards for the juniors in the challengers in the challenger event which i think it was something that we couldn't think about 10 or 15 years ago um leaving them a spot or two spots in every challenger so we're trying to you know to 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 move forward and and try to adapt to the new era Pablo Andohar speaking to Jill Krabus. Don't know about you, but I'd never really thought about the differences in spectacle that tennis is in different countries. Sure, there are differences in character among the four slams and the nine Masters 1000 tournaments, but the idea that spectators in South America look for tennis to deliver a different kind of spectacle than it does in, say, Australia or the USA or England is fascinating. 
Andujar obviously loves the history and tradition while also being open to the new. And when it comes to trying out new things, the Rolex Paris Masters is in the forefront of innovation. Its current tournament director is the former US Open and Wimbledon finalist, Cedric Pierline. Oh, I think there is several several things uh, like uh, here we have a big signature of a tournament with like this show uh, for the entrance of the players on court and uh, with this tunnel uh, lights music combination and um, so already last year we did uh, some improvement and this year we we did the same thing with like uh, 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 floor with lights so so the, the players uh, when they go through the tunnel, they, they're walking on these uh, 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 light floors uh, until, the, until the court, which is uh, very nice when it's uh, like a, a dark uh, stadium for TV, for spectators, combination with the music, which is something uh, who is uh, uh, the decision of our fans uh, through the app, the tournament app, they can vote and choose the which music they would like with uh, the combination of the colors. So I think it's very uh, interesting, very nice and uh, very interactive um, because when you really think about it, like the, 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 um, the fans, they, they, they are never in control of anything, they cannot approach the players, and which is normal. <laughs> uh, so so to, to give them the control of that, it's a good. Uh, it's a good step. So, if we're looking to make tennis more attractive in the future, is one of the keys to that to give the fans more say? Yes, probably. Probably in a way. I mean, like uh, uh, in a way, yeah. It's to 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 give give them more like power or control of some aspect uh, can be uh, can be a direction. But I think uh, to make the tennis more attractive, I guess it's, I mean, we have <laughs> unbelievable matches, unbelievable matches, long matches, a lot of uh, uh, match with match point and the other one is winning. And uh, so it's, it's, I'm very impressed with a uh, level of play, especially at this time of the year when we know it's the end of season and the, all the guys are, are tired. So, so no, I think I think it's pretty attractive. But also through the digital, uh, you can attract uh, uh, different audience, well, like we did in during the qualies. Fans controlling lighting and music. Whatever next. That was Cedric Pierley talking about the Paris Masters. A feature of tennis is that crowds are quiet, well, supposed to be, while the ball is in play. But is that a given in the long term? The former doubles player Oliver Marach has been speaking to Jill Krabus and wonders if fans will soon be able to cheer and make noise right throughout a match. We tennis players are really picky about noise and that. But I had a few talks with uh, some guys and I think if you open the tennis matches a little bit like in the States where the people can entertain and it's more, I don't know if it's possible if the players are too annoyed by that but that could open much more a bigger audience also. Mm, so yeah. uh, I speak with uh, Tiafo uh, in, was it, I think in Paris and he said if, you, if we get there a little bit like some American rules in I would say to be more entertainment, yeah. louder and that, that could be 
something more profitable. But okay. I don't know if that is possible. Okay. Because tennis players, you know how they are. When there has to has to be silence, it has to be quiet. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, we have Davis Cup, and you know, in Davis Cup, that's people accept not, it, right? People accept yeah. it. It's not possible. I mean, in Davis Cup, you will always have loud people, emotional. There are some countries, the people that just don't stop. I mean, it's like that. You have to live with that. So maybe, maybe they can do a tryout and see how it works. You know. Well, yes, there are plenty of things that are unthinkable until they're tried, and once established, they often seem the most natural thing in the world. When James Van Allen, a tennis addict from Newport, Rhode Island, presented the novel idea in the mid-1960s of a set of points, which he called a tie-break, many tennis aficionados reached for the smelling salts, yet it's hard to imagine tennis without the tie-break now. I guess the closest situation to what Oliver Marach is talking about is basketball, where players have the most pressure and the most noise when they have the chance to score points from the free throw line. We know that the Australian tennis star Nick Kyrgios is a great fan of basketball and he's never one to shy away from raucous atmospheres. So perhaps it's no surprise that he also believes the tours should take their lead from American sports, in particular the National Basketball League, when it comes to entertainment. You look at the NBA side of things, I mean, when people arrive to the stadium, arrive to practice, what they leave in, I think, kind of gives the fans an idea of, you know, what type, what, what type of personality they are, um, you know, what they like to wear. And, and you can relate to the players a lot easier, I think, than you can with tennis players. You know, I think we kind of have to wear what we're told to wear. We can't, it's, it's, it's a very, like, traditional sport where, you know, you just get told what to do and you've got to do it, you know. But I think in the NBA, it's more colourful. You get to see what people are into. So, again, I think... Uh, I think the way they could market tennis could be a lot more fun, in my opinion. Um, you know, I think entering the court, they could do a little, like, you know, something with that, you know, to give you an idea on what the guy's like, what type of music he likes. You know, you can relate to these guys. You know, at the end of the day, tennis is a million, millions of people who want to play and be like you. So I think you can influence people um, in many, many ways in the tennis court. And I know you've obviously done that with your foundation, working with kids. How can you do that um, on a day-to-day basis? Can you... Can you do something, your own fashion line uh, for, for, for tennis wear that's a little bit more unique and different? Do you have that capability in you? Um, I think eventually I could do something like that. Um, you know, if I continue to, to go on this path, and obviously I'm going to have to win a lot more than I do. You know, as you said with my foundation, I, I try and impact people. You know, just in my practice today, I you know, invited some fans, you know, that were watching onto the court to play a bit of mini tennis just to give them an idea, you know, give them... You know, it's given some hope that one day, you know, if they they really want it, they can be in the same position. You know, that I'm just like a really a big kid at the end of the day, just doing my own thing. So, I think you know you can impact people on an everyday basis for sure. How do you find happiness nowadays? Um, me personally, I, I obviously you know I found a I found a way to do that with helping people. You know, in my foundation, um, I think that's a a thing that I've realised. You know, I, I feel lucky and privileged to to have found that out so young in my career that. Yeah, it's, it's awesome to win tournaments and events, but it's it's actually what you can, you know, do with, you know, the platform. And you can give kids a lot of inspiration and hope to to make them not lose faith. You know, I got told as a kid that I wasn't going to be any good at the sport and, and now to see what I'm doing and now I, I really just want to try and make a difference. Nick Kyrgios talking with Mike Cation. Inspiring children through his foundation has always been close to Kyrgios's heart, but that's just one of a number of ways to bring the younger players through. Roger Federer's former coach, Ivan Lubicic, is now working with the French Tennis Federation on easing the transition of its most promising young players to the professional ranks. And as a result, he's been looking at best practices from around the world, in particular Italy. They have a lot of tournaments, international tournaments in Italy. So their players, they don't need to travel much in order to compete internationally. They also uh, created the, 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 the TV channel. 
right? Super Tennis it's it's is a TV channel that basically not basic but it speaks about tennis 24/7. It's owned by the federation and they show also the tournaments that are not shown by the normal TVs, right? So even the 14 and under, 16 and under, they they show tennis 24/7 and I think that helped promoting the tennis in in Italy. And in kind of we went into the clubs, and this is something that that they did. Those two things are, I think, the major changes they did. They did also some technical um, details within the federation. But you know, if you look at the people that are in federation now, and they were twenty years ago, it's mostly is the same people. So it's not, you know, it's actually it's actually their mentality. And I think these two things that I just mentioned are the the main reason why they are where they are. The TV channel is interesting. I mean, does that have its impact by getting more kids playing early? Does it get the kids who play three or four sports to choose tennis? What's its main impact? I think so. I think so. I think it makes tennis more popular. You know, um, you know, when you scroll the channels and you see have and you see have and you have tennis channel twenty four seven. You know, it gives you opportunity to watch tennis always. It's something really, really interesting. I don't think any other nation has that. So uh, they made that step, you know, courageously because it was, I remember back in the days when that was announced that everybody was like, well, that, that costs a lot of money, you know, that makes no sense, but it shows that it was, it was, it was the right move. So um, I think, I think it definitely does help in promotion of the tennis and that it makes more kids play tennis. Lubicic is right. It was a controversial decision when the Italian Federation went into round-the-clock broadcasting with Super Tennis, but it certainly seems to have paid off. And tennis being available to watch and listen to, as well as to play, is important to the game's continued fight for relevance against other entertainment programmes. Netflix recently took the game to new audiences through its Breakpoint series. And for the ardent tennis fan, the ATP's Tennis TV platform is available for anyone to subscribe to. Yet, according to the rising American double star Nathaniel Lamons, more can still be done on that front. I think for me, the biggest thing is I think it'd be great if um, more of it was, I guess, accessible to watch. So, like, I, I think if you're in the city where there's a tournament, it, it's great because people will come out if they know it's happening. And regardless of it's singles, doubles, really whoever's playing, it seems to me that people really enjoy it uh, kind of across the board, the states, the world. Um, I think it's... It is difficult because a lot of levels you can't watch some of the matches um, or not for free. Um, as far, what do you mean, like the? Just um, at, uh, I think like two fifties is really the, yeah. the toughest one. Okay. Um, I think challengers have done a good job and masters and above for sure. Um, I think that two fifty level though, I think it would be huge if, if people could. And it's singles and doubles. It's not just not just one or the other. Um, I think it'd be huge if they could watch it because I think it would allow them to become fans of people who haven't maybe made it all the way to the highest level um, I think that would be huge to make it easier for fans to be able to watch I think so I think yeah. I think that's a start Nate Lamons making a really interesting point there about how much interest could be generated from some of the less heralded players he was speaking there about the ATP tournaments at 250 level being more accessible to view but what about other forms of the game will different formats be a thing of the future Ivan Lubicic certainly thinks so I personally, I'm a huge chess fan, and and why I talk about chess is because chess last five ten years has has uh, has became really really popular for the game that exists for many centuries, um, and and what we can learn from chess is that chess introduced faster speed um, 
how to say um, moves moves right so you you have you can play blitz three five minutes you can play rapid games which is 15 30 minutes and then you have a classic ones and why this is interesting to me is that this is what i believe in and 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 you know i think the people who are coming from 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 the world where cricket is played will tell me the same thing is that you can introduce the faster playing formats without damaging the classic ones and i think this is something that tennis will need to look into is to add uh, interesting formats to the crowd without really uh, damaging or, or getting rid of the classic ones because classic will always be classic and there will always be interest in, in seeing the classic battles in best of fives in the long, uh, exhausting um, matches while you can you can also enjoy maybe the faster format. So I think tennis will need to look into adding new formats but I, I I'm strong believer that the, the classic format will need to stay and we'll always have a crowd for that so I, I do believe that we especially the ATP tour and maybe WTA tour will need to be not, not need to be but I think they will try to be more creative and create different uh, events and different interests and then try to bring more young crowd into the sport but the Grand Slams are are there. They will be there. I don't think in 10, 15 years, the Grand Slams will look uh, much different. Ivan Libicic drawing on chess and cricket. And he makes a good point about the need for new and imaginative formats. But let's not forget the ATP have already brought different formats into the game with the birth six years ago of the next-gen ATP finals. That tournament has been a testing ground for variations on traditional tennis and it's gone from strength to strength. Things like the towel baskets are now fully established parts of professional tennis. They were first tried out at Next Gen. One of the tournament's biggest supporters is Craig O'Shaughnessy, a data analyst who works as a consultant for the Italian Tennis Federation. And his liking for the Next Gen is all down to the tournament's first to four format. I did a comparison um, uh, uh, two years ago, I was at Next Gen. I watched every match. I come to the ATP Finals, I watch every match. Next Gen has the no-ad scoring. And the shorter sets. And the shorter... And uh, well, three, five sets, yeah, but shorter sets. Yeah, so, yes, yeah, shorter sets. But what's interesting is that out of... Between Next Gen and ATP, the longest match was actually at Next Gen. Next Gen. Yeah. So um, I did a comparison in every possible way that I could. Um, you know, the average, the average time for the match... Um, the amount of break points. So when you're looking at a product, if you just kind of remove your opinion and you look at next gen as a product, let's say you're the tournament director or you're the ATP, um, next, the next gen format was way better as a format than the ATP finals. So the reason is there's a lot of dead time in a set, love all, one love, one all, two one, two all, three two, three all, four three, four all. You know, these guys are holding 85 to 90% of the time. When they get up 15 love in their service game, they're holding 93% of the time. Whereas at next gen, because the set's shorter and it's no ad, no one's on their phone, every point counts. Um, and what we're really looking for is these momentum points, which is, is, is basically, you can say, break points. There's way more breakpoint opportunities at Next Gen than there is here. So I, I so think you like that format better at Next I, Gen. If, so this is what I, this was my proposal at the end. Grand Slams stay best of five. Don't touch a Grand Slam. It's phenomenal. Um, Masters and Masters and ATP 500s stay as they are. But every ATP 250 event goes to no ad scoring and shorter sets. Every one of them. So ATP 250s are in general struggling. They're struggling events. Financially, they're not doing as well. Um, and you want to create, as a tournament director, you want to create a product that's exciting. 
It is sitting and watching Next Gen is far more exciting. An interesting idea from Craig O'Shaughnessy, very much his own personal suggestion. But once the short sets were established, would they soon become orthodox, to the point where another new format would be needed to revitalise the 250-level tournaments? The landscape may be forever changing. And do you need to change the scoring system to improve the pace of the game? That's a point Cedric Pierlin was wondering when I spoke to him about how tennis might be different in the future. We could... uh, uh probably work on the on the uh, pace of a match you know but i know it's really hard because <laughs> you can't control when they are playing the players and the time they taking between points and uh, so but it's it's uh, i think it's uh, to have a better pace would be would be something very nice i think also uh, maybe one change could be as well to allow to play a double match before a single match. And I think it will be, uh, could be a good uh, improvement. Uh, and also maybe not so negative for the players because now that they, for many years now, they've been changing the uh, double format with a super tiebreak. Then we know it's not so long, the, the double matches. So so this could, could help, yeah, definitely. If you could look into your crystal ball, imagine a fan goes into a tennis stadium 10, 15, 20 years from now. What will they see that's different compared to tennis today? I guess maybe it will... Rule change will happen some 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 days because we... We are one... The, maybe the only major sport who didn't really improve uh, the rules uh, for the past I don't know, 20 years of the, uh, the, the huge changes, the, the tie-break, like <laughs> creation of tie-break, but it's what, 81 or 79 or something? 65. 65? 65 was, well, seven, 1970 was the first tie-break in a Grand Slam. Okay, so you see, uh, so, so when I was born, <laughs> basically. <laughs> And I guess, I guess, yeah, I, th- I think the um, the service and the uh, is, is going to be a tournament in a way is going to be much more like uh, di- with uh, digital. I guess that's that's uh, going to be a big direction or big change. Yeah. Cedric Pierlin's comment that tennis hasn't changed that much in recent decades could be a good thing that the sport is fine as it is, or a bad thing that it's ripe for change. What about the dimensions of the court and the equipment with which the game is played? Golf has just announced it's introducing a new specification for the manufacture of golf balls, so the biggest hitters, both leisure and professional players, don't spoil the game by out-hitting current courses. So could similar regulations come in for tennis? Brad Stein has coached on the tour since the early 90s and has worked with a number of leading players, from the early days with the former world number one Jim Courier to his current work with Tommy Paul. I think the X factor is the fact that the, the court doesn't change. You, you can only, you know, the, the, the physics of what you can do um, from the standpoint of hitting a serve into the, into the service boxes or keeping a ball within the, the baselines um, is somewhat limiting. You, you, you have to still be able to create spin on the ball and, and be able to keep it inside the lines. So it begs the question, is the court too small for today's technology? Um, no, I don't think so. 
I, I, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I've always been a bit of a traditionalist, so I, w I would hate to see um, there kind of be a knee-jerk reaction to what's going on. Um, I think the court's perfect, to be honest. It's been perfect for a really long time. Um, I think if there are any changes or any limitations that are created uh, moving forward, that, it, again, it goes back to the rackets and the racket technology. Um, make a racket with a smaller head. Make a racket that's limited to 27 inches. And... Um, you know, I'd love to see guys go back to having to play. You know, when Jim played, he played with an 85 square inch head. Now you have a lot of guys that are playing 95 and up. 98 is very common. Even 100 is very common. So to me, that's one of the things that you could do right away is limit the head size. Limit it to a 90 square inch uh, head. Well, if you go back to the 27 by 9 inch head, you don't need the tape to measure the height of the net, do you? Exactly. Well, you and I are old enough to know what, uh, what a wooden racket looked like. So, um, so you know, I mean, that, that would be extreme to, to make the guys go back there. But, it, you know, for us as Americans, the best example is, uh, is baseball. Because in baseball, as junior baseball players and as collegiate baseball players, you can play with aluminum bats. And there's the, the basic um, physics of it is that the ball comes off that aluminum bat quicker than it does off of a wooden bat once you become a professional player you have to play with wooden bats so you know that having that as a as an as a change once you turn pro and limiting what the players can can play with um, I think is is the logical thing if you feel that the game is becoming too mundane in how it's being produced uh, down the road so I'm not sure we're at that point um, tennis is pretty dang exciting right now it is it's interesting you mentioned about the, the wood and the aluminium because it happened in cricket 40 years ago where somebody tried to play with an aluminium bat okay. and they were told, no, wood is the material. I wonder whether, in fact, given the advances in tennis frame material technology, whether, in fact, you say, no, 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 it's unlimited what you make a frame out of, but it has to go back to the old size assuming there is evidence that that will keep the variety that you're saying is in danger of being lost. Yeah, well, I think I think that's the obvious answer just because you you create a smaller you create a smaller hitting space, you know, the, the sweet spot in the racket is going to become smaller. It makes it that much more difficult when you're stretched, when you're put in tough positions to try and hit a clean ball. Um, and so that's going to slow things down. That's going to change things a little bit if you do that. You know, there, just like you're saying, there are precedents. Um, you know, golf outlawed the, the square grooves right away. I mean, that, that didn't go anywhere. Tennis, I mean, even our own sport, going back, we had the spaghetti strings that were brought out originally. And, and I mean, the guys were creating a ridiculous amount of spin with those strings. They and were, but actually, are they creating the same amount of spin now with today's strings? But it's just we've, we've had the evolution. Yeah, with the poly string. I mean, it's it's uh, the poly string. Definitely, there's no doubt about the fact that you can create more spin than you than you could 15 years ago, 20 years ago, obviously 30 or 40 years ago. Again, as technology's changed, swing mechanics have changed also. Obviously, swing mechanics from back when you played with wood were was incredibly different than where we're at now. But even back to the 90s, I think the swing mechanics have changed with the with the racket technology. Oh, the mechanics of tennis racket technology. We could talk all night about that, though I should add that there are experts in the field who question whether going back to a 27-inch by 9-inch frame really would change the nature of tennis. One broader change already underway is the One Vision strategic plan for the future presented by the ATP chairman Andrea Gaudenzi, which includes bringing tennis's various stakeholders close together. That, according to Cedric Pierlin, is key to it all. We have a 
four majors, we have FIT, we have ATP, WTA, and then when you go in the two tours, you have like a <laughs> mass 1,000, 500, 250, challenger. So first, as it's our world, it's pretty easy, not always, but pretty easy. But I guess for the fans, it's very complicated to, to, to see it clear. So I think if we want to improve, and it's what uh, ATP with Andrea Gonanzi as uh, the CEO is doing is like you need to uh, consolidate your product in a way and uh, to and then you can make it much more attractive. I mean, that's sort of happening anyway with some of the Masters 1000s, which are becoming nearly two week tournaments. <laughs> are we getting to a situation where the top level of the tour is getting closer to the slams, but then the, the lower tournaments, the 500s, the 250s and the challenges are perhaps getting lower down the food chain. Yeah, probably. You can see it that way. Uh, and is that a good thing? Uh, I don't know. The, the future will tell us. But but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a direction where uh, uh, it will be uh, by 25, uh, 2025 uh, big changes because uh, then seven out of nine mass of thousand will be on that 12 days format combined. Uh, the only two left on a week is uh, will be Monte Carlo and Paris. So uh, of course it's a, it's a huge, huge uh, change. And uh, as you said, maybe uh, uh, the players will definitely think differently on the way they're building their um, scheduling of a year tournament participation um, but I think it's uh, also the concern of the ITP who wants to uh, create a much more like premium product which uh, also is a good thing and also a good thing for the players because uh, then it's more attractive more exposure more probably more prize money, um, more uh, better infrastructure. So yeah, it's, it's uh, if they do it, it's because they, they, they are sure that it's uh, the right direction and it will be positive, but then, you know, it's always a risk in life. So we'll see. Are you optimistic about the future of tennis? Yes, I think it's very attract attractive sport. People love it here. We 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 are happy. We are sold out. We we uh, are like uh, people and fans really want to come. We have a very good and high quality of uh, not only tennis but uh, experience overall with the show, with activation. With and we are very very happy. So um, so yeah. <laughs> Cedric Pierlin, amongst others, optimistic about the future of tennis. And there are plenty of reasons to be optimistic. Tennis hasn't changed a great deal over the past 60 years. Yes, if someone from the 1960s could travel through time and emerge in a tennis stadium today, they'd notice some differences. But the court would be the same dimensions, the racket only slightly different, the balls even less so, and the scoring system largely the same. So the basic formula works. But tennis operates in an increasingly packed marketplace, so it has to make itself as attractive as possible. We've talked in this podcast about the changes one could make, but arguably the best thing tennis could do would be simply to make the most of what it has. And that's where the players come into their own. Tennis has an array of fascinating characters, 
And the more they become known to the world's audiences, both sporting and non-sporting audiences, the more the sport will grow. My thanks to this week's contributors. Too many to list once again, but that shows just how many have a passion for tennis to be at its best for the future. Next week, we have a real treat for you. The first of a two-part debate discussing the GOAT, the greatest tennis player of all time. I'll be joined by my fellow podcast presenter, Seb Lozier, and the former WTA player turned commentator, Jill Krabus. But for now, I'm Chris Bowers. Thanks for listening and enjoy the tennis. <laughs>